0: Welcome to the May 24th edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm your host, Mark Herring. The time is 711. In tonight's lineup, we have a story on the oldest bar in Raleigh, the Player's Retreat, a story about rainforest canopy research taken to a local level, a feature on the renovated Cam Raleigh Art Gallery, a report on Burmese refugees in the Triangle, and our other routine segments. If you're listening out there, apparently you haven't been taken up by the rapture, so listen to an interview Chris Chaffee, my, my public affairs assistant, conducted with a priest with a local Unitarian Universalist fellowship. First, here's the PR the the PR or the players retreat. Since
1: nineteen
2: fifty one, the players retreat has been a staple of the Hillsborough Street area. Frequented by college students and politicians alike, the clientele includes athletes as well as thespians. Gus Gussler, the proprietor of the bar, describes the early days of the PR.
3: It opened in 1951. Bernie Hanula played football for Wake Forest and then was played pro football for the Chicago Cardinals. And he and Mickey opened the place up. And originally, the interesting thing is, the Players' Retreat was not meant to be like sports. It was the people from Thompson Theater at NC State that came here. That's where the name came from originally it was the Players' Retreat. Down in 51, it was down where the wolf mark is, right down at the end of the street, right at the end of campus. It was there for 10 years, and then it moved in here in 61, and it's been here ever since.
1: Gussler, as a college student, first set foot in the PR in the early 70s and hasn't
3: left since. This is the first bar I came to when I came to State in 67. The first beer I ever drank in Raleigh was in the Players Retreat, 1967. I, uh, my senior year, when I was sued by President, I was a cook here. So I, I cooked uh, 7172 here and got to know the original owner. About five years ago, back in November, uh, the building changed hands. The second owner, Pete Jarrell, had it. And they tripled his rent. And when that happened, Pete just said he just couldn't do it anymore because the, the business was way off. It, wasn't, it just wasn't doing very well at all. And he was at a point of having to make a decision on possibly closing it. And he called me and said, I would rather close it than let somebody come in and screw the place up. It's the PR. It's history. You can't change this. And he said, I know you'll keep it the way it's always been. And I said, "Uh, I'm a lawyer. I, I, I like spending time in bars, but I have no idea how to run one. And I've got no cash right now. I can't afford to buy a bar. He said, you haven't heard the deal yet. I said, I don't care what the deal is. I can't do it. Basically, he did a deal. That was, it, there was no way I could say no. That was five years ago, and we're, I, I added liquor. There had no liquor by the drink then. He only had beer. He had white Zinfandel, was the only wine he had, which was $1.99 a bottle. That was the wine that was here, and it was beer. So I came in, immediately put in liquor, and I immediately took all of the white Zinfandel, boxed it up, and gave it away because I was not going to serve it, and I'll never have white Zinfandel here ever. And it's not just college students
2: either who frequent the players' retreat. All kinds of folks stop by to get a drink or a bite to eat.
3: 80% or 75% of the people that come here are politicians, college professors, doctors and lawyers and business people. You have some bars in town where if you go, it's just nothing but college students. You have some bars you go to in town, there's nothing but, you know, people who are not college students. And here you get a blend, which is I think is kind of cool. This has always been a place from day one that anyone could come here. You see a college kid sitting there, you know, come from class, and next door is the governor. Seeing the next table is the governor sitting there having lunch. You know, we've got, you can see guys sitting there that look like they may have slept under the Morgan Street Bridge drinking a dollar and a half PBR, and the next table next to, to him is a couple who are sitting there dressed to the nines, you know, drinking silver oak and eating a steak, and they're, go- and they're going to the, the symphony. It's just, it's always been that way, And everyone's always got along.
1: Gus explains that everyone has always gotten along because of his famous rule.
3: The rule here has been since the place opened. If you get in a fight, you're permanently barred. You can never set foot in the PR ever again. So we don't have fights. We don't have problems. Even though we've got such a wide range of people, you would think maybe there would be some tension. There's none. Uh, Bernie's rule was... If, if you come in and you start a fight with me and you hit me, you get thrown out. If I hit you back, even though I'm defending myself, I get thrown out and can never set foot back in here again. And that's always been the rule, and it's, it will be the rule as long as I own a place. I've only had two people I had to throw out. I had a guy get in a fight here with the first year I had it with one of my cooks. And it happened right outside. And they knocked over a pitcher of beer on these two-lady professors from state. I immediately fired the cook and threw them both out. They've never set foot back in here again.
1: Throughout the years, the players' retreat has seen some amazing things take place inside its walls.
3: A number of years ago, the North Carolina Senate, I mean House, did a deal where they wound up having a joint Republican and a Democrat split speakership of the House. That deal was done in booth 8. Jim Black and Morgan sat there with Bill Culpepper, the rules chair of the... State House, and they, they cut the deal to have dual speakership. That was, that was history, I and mean, it was just unbelievable that happened there.
1: Thanks to Gus's hard work, the PR has also been recognized for its wine list in Wine Spectator magazine and also now has a very impressive selection of scotch.
3: The first thing I wanted to do was add as many Scotch as I can, and we do have the largest selection on the East Coast. We have 66 single malt scotches right now, and I love wine. We started doing a wine list, and then I sort of just sort of got more into it.
1: The PR is also going green. By instituting a
3: carbon neutral policy. With carbon neutral, we basically we work with a company called uh, Native Energy out of up in New England, and we fed them all of our information on how many trucks come in a day. I mean, you, this carbon neutral, you can't really be. If you go, you could take. Let's put it this way: for every bit of carbon that we generate here. We buy offsets and wind farms and things, methane recovery facilities to neutralize what we do. Last year we invested in a methane recovery facility from a dump outside of Chicago from the 60s. And this year we're investing in a wind farm. From
2: carbon neutrality to world-class wine, the players retreat is more than meets the eye. And according to Gus Gussler, that's the way it should be.
3: We are a dive bar with some class.
2: For I and the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee, and I'm Nick Savage.
0: Of all the biomes that life inhabits, one of the least explored environments is the forest canopy. North Carolina based scientist Dr. Meg Lauman first experimented with climbing into rainforest canopy in the late 1970s, and she's been in and out of the heights of the forest ever since. Now working for the North Carolina Museum of Natural Science, Lowman coordinated with NC State to teach a canopy research workshop between May 11th and 14th. I talked with event organizer and entomology graduate student Andrea Lucky, who claims that even North Carolina has a lot to offer in canopy biodiversity.
4: There's so much unknown right around here. And I think we found that through a number of researchers, both in biology and entomology, Forest science. Uh, we have a number of groups here on campus that are studying ecology and evolution and have found pretty amazing discoveries right here in Raleigh. So, even though the rainforest and you know, the tropics is amazing, there's lots to discover, but there's quite a lot to discover here. In fact, we found not just new species around here, we have a number of unnamed ant species that occur here. We found a new invasive ant species that had never been documented before. We found I'm talking mostly about ants because that's what my lab works on. But we have a number of species that have done interesting things or we didn't know existed in this area before. And I bet you during this survey, my, my supposition is that we will find at least one, if not many more, new species that are undescribed here in Raleigh in tree canopies simply because people haven't looked before. I am the organizer of the Canopy Workshop, which is the workshop in canopy biology, which involves three days of climbing training for educators and for research scientists in biology. And then we are going to culminate our workshop with a Sunday kids' climb out at Blue Jay Point uh, County Park in which we'll get a bunch of fifth graders to have the experience of climbing up some trees and talk to them a little bit about canopy science.
0: So you explained that there's going to be instruction with how to do research in the canopy and climb. So is that going to involve people harnessing up and climbing?
4: Absolutely. That's what the workshop is focused on, um, how to safely get into the trees. So all the equipment, all the um, assessing trees, safely climbing in the trees, um, and what sorts of techniques you could use once you're up there for moving around in the trees.
0: The workshop hosted a number of experts in the canopy research field. And Dr. Steve Yanoviak of the University of Arkansas came to talk about his research involving ant species that live in the tree canopy. These ants that he has studied in Central and South America have the ability to glide back to trees if they've fallen off a branch.
5: My name is Steve Ionowiak. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. And today I was speaking to um, the participants here in the Department of Biology and Entomology regarding my work on canopy ants in the tropical rainforest.
0: Dr. Steve Ionowiak didn't start in the canopy studying ants originally but rather first climbed off the forest floor to track a different species of insect.
5: Actually, it began with mosquitoes, and I was a graduate student working in Panama studying holes in trees, cavities in trees that collect rainwater, and mosquitoes will breed in those cavities. And I was doing all of my work from the ground. There were other graduate students in Panama climbing trees for various other projects, and one day, one of the students yelled down to me. He said, uh, hey, Steve, you know, there there are mosquitoes hanging out near this hole up in this tree. And I said, oh, you have to get me up there. And that's what started all of the canopy work for me. So that, that one comment from him basically launched the last 20 years of tree climbing that I've been doing. It's not an experience that you get tired of easily. Um, it definitely is work at times. There are many days when I just don't feel like climbing anymore. You know, I've had enough of it... Um, but one of the the great things is to take somebody out climbing for the first time and get their reaction when they just get a few meters off the ground and suddenly their whole perspective on the forest changes in a way that they really didn't I don't think anticipate and I still get that sometimes and a lot of times and so that's yeah I, I think it's just it's just a wonderful experience to get up and get a different perspective on the forest and um I don't want to say that I was reluctant to climb trees initially. It just it, it does take a lot of work and equipment and uh, a lot of effort.
0: For more information about canopy research and to register for next year's Techniques in Canopy Biology Research Workshop, you can go to schoolofants.org. There, you can find projects to get involved with and different stories from other biologists. From Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. And safe climbing out there. We're back with Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.23, and I'm here in the studio with meteorologist Katie Costa. And I know it's been hot, but I think Katie can provide us with some more insight. So, Katie, what's going on?
6: Well, Mark, today it was another hot day across the triangle, as you pointed out, with temperatures once again peaking above 90 degrees, but currently it is 84 degrees out there with winds from the northeast at 7 miles per hour, so it still feels pretty warm out there, but not as hot as it was earlier. Now, we do have a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms expected this evening and overnight tonight, but these storms will taper off by the early early morning hours tomorrow. We will get down to 68 degrees this evening and wake up tomorrow with a mild start to the day with temperatures at around 70 degrees now taking a look at the rest of the week ahead it looks like this 90s trend is going to continue throughout the remainder of the week and this is because of a nice southwesterly flow in place from a high pressure system located just off the southeast coast and this is what is going to keep supplying us with unseasonably warm temperatures here across the triangle so tomorrow expected to feel just as hot out there as it was today with a high of around 94 degrees now mostly sunny skies are in store for us tomorrow Tomorrow evening will be another warm, mild night with temps around 67. Now Thursday, we will see mostly sunny skies with temperatures peaking above 90 degrees once again. Overnight Thursday, expect partly cloudy skies and temperatures at around 68 degrees. Now our greatest chance for rain this work week will be on Friday. We have a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms expected to move in afternoon, with highs still sticking in the 90s though. Now Friday evening, we will cool down to 68 with still a chance of showers and thunderstorms to continue throughout the evening. Now, taking a look at your upcoming holiday weekend weather forecast, this weekend is going to be the perfect weekend to take the boat out on the lake or head to the pool since we will be seeing mostly sunny skies and highs in the upper 80s to low 90s here across the triangle. Now, although it still will be fairly hot, Overall, we will be seeing beautiful sunny weather here across the entire state. So whether your Memorial Day weekend travel plans involve heading west to the mountains, east to the beaches, or sticking around here, expect beautiful weather this holiday weekend. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in for your WKNC forecast here on Eye in the Triangle. Back to you, Mark.
0: Thank you very much, Katie. And now I'm here in the studio with Tyler Everett, our sports commentator. And he's been abroad in Ecuador, and he's joining us again so Tyler, what's going on in the sports world?
7: Well, uh, I'm a little more up to date on the NBA basketball than I am on Wolfpack athletics, just because football and basketball, the sports I follow the closest, are a, a little quiet this time of year. But NBA wise, I've been watching, been watching that. And last night, for those who missed it, uh, Dallas was playing Oklahoma City. Dallas was up two one last night. It looked like Oklahoma City would would tie it. They were up 15 with about four and a half minutes left. Uh, James Harden is their sixth man, but a-, a big part of their rotation. He fouled out. And their offense just could not could not score at all. They only scored four more points the rest of regulation. Dallas got hot, particularly Dirk Nowitzki. He did not miss down the stretch as he's done almost all playoffs. It's his third or fourth 40-point night. Maybe he's had even more than that. He's really been unstoppable all playoffs long. He got hot. They tied it, went into overtime. It was clear going into overtime that all the uh, momentum was in Dallas's favor. And Dallas uh, beat Oklahoma City last night in overtime. Uh, I believe the final score was 112 to 105. Jason Kidd had a big three with like 40 seconds left for Dallas, and that put them over the top. So they're up three one now. Oklahoma City is pretty much toast as far as I'm concerned. They go back to Dallas. Um, the history doesn't. The history is not in their favor at all. Like 96 percent of teams, they go up three one, finish the job, and that's where Dallas is now. So expect Dallas to represent the West in the finals, and then tonight will be a huge game in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Miami's up 2-1 on the Bulls and they play in Miami tonight. Uh, that's the game Dallas, or Chicago, excuse me. Chicago desperately needs that game. Like I said, going down 3 one's almost impossible to come back from. So they'll have their work cut out for them in, uh, South Beach against LeBron and, and Wade and Bosch who went, went off the other night. Chicago's gonna have to stop him. They're gonna have to get more from Rose. They're gonna have to get more balance. They're gonna need to really turn things around because, uh, they were beat pretty handily down there the last time out when they fell down 2-1. To miami so uh right now it's looking like a miami dallas uh, nba finals but should should chicago win tonight it's 2-2 they've got home court everything changes should they win tonight so a huge game tonight at 8 30 uh that's that's chicago versus miami okay
0: great thank you very much tyler yep okay and uh i'm just wondering uh you were just in ecuador what were you doing down there
7: I was studying abroad. It was a I'm a Spanish major, and I went down there through the study abroad office. I was a uh, full semester down there. All my transfers, all my credits transfer back here. So it was uh, I was a full time student there at a university called Universidad San Francisco de Quito. Uh, Twelve hours. I lived with a host family. Uh, did the whole thing there. Loved it. Uh, was too short. Wasn't ready to come home at all. But it's uh, back to reality and and following the Wolfpack, hoping they win a little more than I've seen them in the past. But Good to be back home, but I certainly had a great time.
0: Yeah, I guess it was a good time to be abroad during our uh, basketball season. Yeah, I didn't
7: miss many victories, did I?
0: No. Well, uh, it's good to have you back. Uh, Thank you very much. Now, I am here in the studio with our former general manager, Tommy Anderson, and he's here with a guest, Chris Cohen, from the Miracle League of the Triangle. So, you guys, take it away.
8: Right. Well, I I appreciate being referred to as the former general manager. I actually prefer the term emeritus. (laughs) Oh <laughs> uh, well, listen. You did a good job, guys. Yeah. So this week's <laughs> this week this week's VIP is Chris Cohen. Um, Chris has lived in Cary for three years with his wife and son. Um, he's a graduate of the University of Southern California, the other USC. He'll tell you, um, actually, a college radio veteran from USC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he uh, spends his weekends helping out with Miracle League of the Triangle, which just wrapped up their spring season. Yeah. Um, Miracle League is a baseball league located in Cary. Um, uh tuned for and only for children with special needs um but that's not all chris does he's also a humor writer and um been published in various newspapers magazines
9: yeah yeah uh, across Done the, the country
7: whole... um
9: i'm still shocked that you were no longer the manager i thought <laughs> I, I i get the person who was kicked out on scandal to interview me yes, if that's the yes. deal
8: We <laughs> like to brush that under the rug though um but <laughs> no, that, that's not the case, yeah, not the case. It's just moving just on just <laughs> this is creative yeah. license on radio journalism um
9: weren't you once head of the imf yes <laughs> Star, Star's, Star's gone. Star's gone. Um,
8: so but chris will be putting out a collection of his writings his uh human writings, some new some old if i'm not mistaken yeah uh, it'll, it'll be called staying crazy to keep from going insane it'll come out september 2011 in a bulk of those proceeds will be donated to the Miracle League of the Triangle.
9: Yeah, that's um, correct.
8: So I guess to start things off, let's just talk about Miracle League. Um, that's kind of a broad question. How did you How did you come into uh, help, helping out with this, folks?
9: Uh, basically, because my wife and I have a child who has special needs, Max, very cool kid, but he's battling a lot of issues, global developmental delays and cataplexy and food sensitivities. And one of his... Sorry. One of his uh, therapists said, you know, you should really check this out. And we weren't too sure about it because, you know, he's he has trouble with gross motor skills. We can not imagine him playing baseball. Uh, but we went out there to try it out. And it was this really wonderful experience because, you know, the Miracle League, as, as you know, because you've done volunteering with them as well, is this baseball field that's made especially for them it's got this outdoor carpet like field so all the kids with wheelchairs can roll on it without a problem and it's it's all geared toward them it's there's no outs there's no real fielding involved um Every, every kid gets a nickname that gets announced when he comes up to bat. Our son is Tyrannosaurus Max. Every kid gets a song that gets played that they get to choose. And, and it spans the whole spectrum. One, one girl has Wheels on the Bus that gets played when she comes up to bat. Another kid on my son's team chose ACDC's Highway to Hell. So, and it just makes for a, this great fun time. It's, it's just all about having fun. I, baseball for me was just a horrendous experience as a child basically it was you know uh, waterboarding with uniforms was kind of the vibe that I got from it you know whereas,
8: daisies in the outfield putting them in your hat
9: well no it's just you know mainly you know uh, grown ups threatening you with you know uh, um, it's, it's where I learned most of my swear words basically just hearing people just scream at me all day long this is fun though this is just about having fun playing baseball kids get up to bat they get to play and it's their their chance to play baseball when otherwise they wouldn't have that opportunity and
8: probably enjoy it a lot more than you and i did yes
9: yes definitely
8: um so how, how long have you been involved with Miracle
9: league? uh about two years now uh started out you know again just as kind of the nervous parents sitting in the stand and then uh we've gotten more and more involved my wife does a lot of fundraising for them and i now uh announce the games and and help out with the music and all that kind of stuff
8: yeah. and miracle league just for reference of our listeners, is a registered nonprofit.
9: profit Yes. Um,
8: how does one get involved? With I know the website is just Miracle League of the Triangle. Miracle yeah. URL, MiracleLeagueOfTheTriangle.com. But if someone were interested in signing their child up learning how to volunteer
9: that that is kind of the best way is just go to the website and that that has all the um you know all the information there and you can sign up and you can and you know it also has contact information if you want to send an email or or call one of the managers to find out all right how does this work uh again as you said we just wrapped up the spring season this past weekend uh fall season starts sometime in september
8: okay well now let's kind of switch gears towards uh, your efforts your recent efforts um Collection of uh, kind of witticisms, I guess, would be the best way to, the best way to put it, um, that you'll be putting out in September 2011. That's um,
9: usually what they say when people don't think it's funny, but they want to be nice.
8: Yeah, they want, they want good, uh, good buzzword. Right. Um, it's it's witticisms. So... That comes out September two thousand eleven. Um, available in fine bookstores everywhere. Where can
9: people pick it up? Uh, it's definitely going to be available on Amazon, and I'm going to be selling it at the baseball games as okay. well. As far as local bookstores, I don't know. You know, because I'm self-publishing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a former president or a current Cardassian, so none of the big <laughs> publishing houses are going to touch me. So uh, that I'm going to try and get it into local bookstores, but I don't know.
8: Okay. Um, how 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 did, how did you how did you come into the idea of Um, writing this collection or compiling this collection of of past works because you you, you were published in newspapers in the past. Yeah, I used to uh, write a column
9: that ran every week in in various uh, California newspapers back when I lived out there. And then, um, you know, that was a case of as the Internet was coming of age, the newspapers if any of you remember what those are we're going downhill and uh so they were cutting anything extraneous and uh a humor writer is considered extraneous so it was a great time but then you know i you know lost the column in the newspapers and then blogging kind of came about and i started getting involved in that and then you know i guess like a lot of writers you just think i'd really love to be able to publish a book one of these days and so i just thought what the heck I'm going to give it a shot. This might be my only chance. I might only sell 20 copies, 19 of which will go to my mother. But still, I wanted to give it, you know, I wanted to give it a try. And so I went through. I still had all these old columns, like six years' worth, and kind of culled through them, did some editing here and there, and put it together with some new pieces.
8: Yeah. So it's due out September 2011. um, Yeah. Called Staying Crazy to Keep From Going Insane. Um, Where can people find a little sample of your writing?
9: Uh, they can go to the website, which is stayincrazy.com. And uh, that also has links to the Facebook page. Also, I have a regular blog that it links to, uh, which is at chriscohen.typepad.com. And yeah, but mainly you go to com. that has all the info and, and links to everything else, too.
8: Okay. Um, and is, are these just daily observations you made? I mean, I I've looked at it several times. There's one about. Just lightning in general. There's one about eat, eating eating rare burgers. Yeah, yeah. Ordering rare burgers. Right. Just stuff that comes to you during the day or?
9: Yeah, just, just uh, odd observations. You know, I mean, there's stuff going back to when my wife was pregnant and things like that. But just, you know, like uh, uh, I got a business catalog for just, just yesterday for uh, business items, stamps, envelopes, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And on it, it had um, a packing blanket that you use when you're moving furniture to wrap stuff in. But it, they they were very proud of the fact that this was a camouflage blanket, <laughs> and I didn't really you understand. Don't want anyone to see you right, exactly. If, if you're doing a lot of office moving in the jungle, apparently, <laughs> and you want to, you know, and and even if it's the camouflage is really good and they don't see the desk that's under it, I think they'll see the U-Haul truck you're putting it into. I just don't. It's that kind of stuff.
8: <laughs> so. Let's see. You you have on your website. <laughs> well, that'll I, that'll I that'll hold that you for anything, a little bit. Funny.
9: Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, um, all right. So I I love the fact that you guys you know uh, have this radio station. I started out doing college radio, and then um, and actually I got into working into professional radio, uh, which I got out of because I got tired of being poor. But uh, I really oh. encourage you guys to to stay with it. And it's really cool, and I, thank you very much for having me.
8: No, no, it was a pleasure. Um, now I I see on your on your blog you have a claim from. New, a new yorker cartoonist um a gentleman who won a pulitzer prize yeah uh, are these buddies of yours
9: no i i <laughs>
8: did, you, did you slip them a couple 20s to get, to get all these nice comments i see
9: uh basically i just asked i've I've asked a lot of people and a lot of people said no or just never wrote back and uh but with people like dave Barry and stuff like that i just wrote and said you know i'm doing this book would you be nice enough to give me a quote and uh they've just these are just nice people who said yeah Send a sample. See what I can do.
8: Great, great. Well, certainly KNC wishes you the best of luck in all of your uh, all of your endeavors. Um, thank you. And, again, people looking to f- find out about either one, um, miracleleagueofthetriangle.com. Mm-hmm. And um, the book is called Staying Crazy. So I believe there's a Facebook page for that.
9: Yeah, uh, anyways, yeah, definitely. Uh,
8: information's out there. Uh, Chris Cohen, thank you very much um, for coming in.
9: Thanks for having me.
0: That was staying crazy with Chris Cohen and Tommy Anderson. Now we have a few stories left, including an interview from the beautiful new Cam Raleigh Art Museum, a report on Burmese refugees in the triangles in the triangle, and the situation of the rapture or the rapture that didn't happen. So here's an interview I conducted with Kate Schaefer from the Contemporary Art Museum. Okay, so could you briefly introduce yourself and explain your role here at Cam?
10: My name is Kate Schaefer, and I'm the Gallery and Exhibitions Manager at CAM Raleigh. I am basically the Exhibitions Department at CAM Raleigh. We have a very small staff, um, including myself, our Executive Director, Alicia Bowery Reader, and we have an Education Staff and a Development Staff and a Visitor Services
0: Staff. Okay, and so CAM has been closed due to renovations, and so could you explain just a little bit of the background history of that sort of process and how you got involved with cam uh two years ago and the significance of this reopening
10: well we have owned this building for many many years now and there have always been plans for it to be renovated um and it's basically been a long time coming but through um Many private donations and a tax credit deal that we did last year, we were able to finally raise enough money to for our capital campaign to do the renovations on the building. Um, the building is a 1920s warehouse and has been used for many, many things, um, and now we're so excited that its new home is going to be a non-collecting museum of contemporary art and design.
0: Okay, great. What can art aficionados uh, expect to see in this grand opening? And what exactly do you guys see yourself doing in the future?
10: Well, our mission is to bring contemporary art and design to the community. And we are part of the College of Design. Um, our We're a partnership between the College of Design, NC State's College of Design, and the Contemporary Art Foundation, which is a private 501c3 um, made up of members of the community and the two of us together make Cam Raleigh. Um, We have an educational mission um, as well. One of the really neat things about our space is that it's so open and you can see all the gallery spaces at the same time. And because of that, we'll never be able to hide our process. And we're really excited about that. That's part of what makes us different from other spaces. We'll have exhibitions on a rotating schedule, so there will always be something open, but it's likely that you may come and visit here and be able to see something being installed or being taken down, and we take the mystery out of that a little bit.
0: Okay, so it's more about transparency with viewing art?
10: Yes, that's part of it. Um, Also, just the work that we show in general, we're focused on contemporary, which is, is new. It's right now... Um, it's now and nearing. So the works that we bring in um, you know, may not have been shown anywhere else. They might have been shown somewhere else. They might be um, by an emerging artist. We're having a series in our independent weekly gallery, which is the lower-level gallery in the building, that's dedicated to emerging artists. Um, emerging meaning they are emerging on the national stage.
11: Okay.
0: And contemporary art is you know is a huge um sort of it's its its own universe and there's so many things going on but at cam are there's certain things that you guys are looking at in emerging artists um or certain pieces that you think would really go well with the exhibition
10: we will show all sorts of artwork. Um, even just this first year is a demonstration of that. Our first exhibitions, our, our um, installation artwork, and our second major exhibition, which opens in September, is a major design show um, called Deep Surface Contemporary Ornament and Pattern, and it involves um you know 50 plus objects from designers all over the world and will be a more traditional looking museum show as far as having objects in vitrines and pedestals compared to our opening exhibition which is Dan Steinhelber um a show entitled Hold On Loosely and Naoko Ito in our emerging artists series um in a show titled Urban Nature they both are more traditional fine art um installation artists The reason that they were chosen to be our inaugural exhibitions is because of their use of materials and their concepts about their work. They both work in common, everyday, manufactured materials. And we felt that that spoke to the history of our building as a produce warehouse um, so this building was built in the 20s, and it would hold house produce that would come in on the trains. Um, it's, it's a cold storage facility, and the produce would get shipped out in boxes and trucks and distributed throughout the city. Dan Steinhelber was really interested in that concept because as a contemporary art museum, we're kind of still doing that. We bring in new work. We keep it here, we preserve it, we take care of it for a period of time, and then we put it back out into culture. And he really liked that um, conceptual connection between the shipping warehouse and an art museum.
0: That, that parallel does make sense. And being on the corner of Martin and West Street here in the warehouse district, it really seems to be fitting um, that you really have the integrated, not in just the identity of the building, but the artwork presented someone's interested in information about the museum how can they, they do that
10: we have a website cam and right now it's functioning more like a blog but we're transitioning it to be a more full website within the next month or so um, you can find our contact information on there as well as information about our programs events um, photos of the exhibition and everything that we do
7: okay great thank you
10: Thank you.
0: Southeast Asia of the nineteen sixties and seventies is characterized by the strife that its people endured, with the spread of civil wars rebel uprisings, and foreign invasions, the Southeast Asia many came to know was one of tragic misfortune, ranging from the war in Vietnam to the rise of the violent Khmer Rouge and secret interventions in Laos. But few are familiar with the plight of Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. North Carolina has become a hotspot for Burmese refugees seeking asylum from a conflict that started 49 years ago with a violent coup that brought a militant socialist regime to power. And since the coup of 1962, the Burmese have endured the whims of multiple military juntas in government, and the historically marginalized ethnic minority of the Karen people have recently fallen victim to a renewed persecution by the military government. Recent numbers of Burmese refugees living in the triangle have grown considerably since internal conflict that worsened in Myanmar in 2007. And there is one organization that is working to provide support for Burmese children through art. I spoke with artists from the Art Therapy Institute located in Durham at a refugee art exhibition at Cameron's Art Gallery in Chapel Hill to see how the organization got started working with Burmese students.
12: Hi, I'm Kristen Linton. I'm the executive director of the Art Therapy Institute, and I'm also one of the art therapists working on the Burma Project.
13: And I'm Hillary Rubison. I'm also an art therapist working um, on the Refugee Art Therapy Project.
0: Okay, and how many students are you working with?
13: I would say around 80 students at this point, um, everywhere ranging from kindergartners all the way up to high schoolers that go up to age 21 sometimes.
0: So you're working with about 80 students, Burmese?
13: Yeah, they're, they're refugees from Burma. They're from different um, ethnic minorities. A lot of them are Karen, which is an ethnic minority um, that's been being sort of persecuted in Burma right now. Um, we work with some actual Burmese students as well. So I think right now there's over a 1,000 um, refugee families in the Triangle area. So we work with a significant portion of them at this point because not only are we working with the kids, but you know we do intakes with the families. We have a women's group working with the mothers. Um, so we've pretty much reached out to a lot of the community.
0: How has art been used in therapy, and how has it sort of let these students express things that, were, that they're probably trying to repress?
12: Well, in general, the language barrier has been a big difficulty for the students because it's hard for them to express anything in English. Um, And art is kind of a way of surpassing that. They can use the images, they can use communication through their art making within group. Um, They work on acculturation, socialization, their communication skills, and they can express a lot of the really terrible things that they've experienced without having to talk about them, either in their own language or in English. So it's a really good medium for for these particular students
0: okay and um are there any particular uh recurrent themes or trends that you've noticed in some of the artwork
13: Yeah, um, if if you come to the show, you'll see a lot of the um, a lot of the pictures are of different landscapes. A lot of students, without even telling them, you know, we'll just put art materials out on the table, and they'll start drawing the mountains, um, scenes from Thailand, um, and then sometimes we get a lot of war imagery as well. Um, A lot of those images seem to be sort of a safe place for them to start the process of drawing, and it definitely shows sort of a collective identity in the
5: work.
0: One of the Burmese students, named Zan Po, had his work featured in the show, and with the help of his mentor, Mike Burkett, he was able to explain his personal history and his artwork.
7: So Zan came to the United States through his aunt and uncle, and Zan was in a refugee camp since he was nine years old, correct Zan? And uh, his dad still lives in Burma. He's 75 years old, but Zan hasn't seen him in about 10 years. And uh, he's living right now with his aunt and uncle uh, in Chapel Hill. Zan, how long have you been in the country? Um, Two years. Two
0: years. Okay. And do you go to Chapel Hill High School? Yes, sir. And um, can you talk about your... uh your picture of getting an A plus. Yes, I mean I hope my future will become better and uh, I think I had to get a stu- study. That's why I guess that A plus. Yeah, so the picture is talking about a successful future?
1: Y- yes sir.
0: I understand.
7: Zan's a beautiful young man and he works hard and does all what all he needs to do to be successful.
0: Great. Well, thank you too very much. Thank you so much. Kristen Linton explained that the Art Therapy Institute uses art with these children refugees to open them up in a non-threatening manner. Many of these children have experienced hardship during the civil wars in Myanmar and during long stays at refugee camps in Thailand. What are the advantages of art therapy? And what, does, what can art do... Um, besides other methods of therapy to help someone?
12: Well, art can surpass language when words aren't enough. Often when people um, are traumatized, the memories get stored in a different way. And so by drawing, it can reaccess some of this imagery and help integrate it back into their personal narrative. Art can help people become empowered, um, to become survivors rather than victims of their own experiences, and it can just really help people create their own stories and create their own meaning in their lives. Um, And again, with people who have difficulty with language, it's it's just a really nice other way of communicating.
0: For more information about the Refugee Art Therapy Project and the Art Therapy Institute, visit ncati.org. From I on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring.
2: I'm sitting here in the basement of the Unitarian Universalist Church here on Wade Avenue in Raleigh with uh, Tom. Tom? Give us what you do here.
11: Well, I am the senior minister here at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, and we have about 500 members. I am actually going to be retiring at the end of this month, and we'll have a new interim minister come, but as far as uh, what I do, it is what you would expect any minister to do in a congregation of this size. It's a bit of preaching, it is pastoral care, it is classes, it is lots and lots of committee meetings, of course. Um, We do it all here it's it is a growing thriving congregation
2: what makes the Unitarian Universalist Church unique in relation to other types of churches
11: Well, we are truly a multi-faith community, and when I say that, I mean that we have people who are liberal Christians. We have people who are, you might even call them devout atheists. We have people who come from Buddhist and Taoist traditions. We have self-described pagans. It is a truly ecumenical community in the truest sense of the word. Describe in brief detail
2: the ideologies of the Unitarian Universalist Church and what makes you guys unique compared to, you know, my old Catholic family or something like that.
11: Well, we have no creed and no dogma. We rely very much on the individual journey, each person's experience of what is true while we do draw on various scriptures, both Jewish, Christian, um, Buddhist texts as well, we see them as a fount of wisdom, but not necessarily the literal truth. So what is the truth then? That's a wonderful question. I don't know that there is any universal truth that has always been true and always will be. One of the things which we teach is the idea of the interdependent web of all existence. That is that everything is connected to everything else. And if that is the case, then everything must eventually change. Change is the only constant, you might say. And if change is the only constant, then perhaps that is the only truth, that whatever is true now will, in some ways, not necessarily be true in the future. It may not have been as true in the past.
2: So let's talk about truths here for a minute, or perhaps untruths. The 21st of this month, according to NPR and various other sources, the rapture was supposed to happen. Now, I guess, since you're still here, maybe not because I'm still here, however... Clearly, the rapture has not happened. Now, what's the fascination with the end times and the apocalypse?
11: Well, I think people have always had a fascination with death. And there is this sense of what does existence mean? And will existence ever come to an end? I think for many of us, we are fascinated and very afraid when we're faced by the prospect of our own death if you multiply that by the death of a world, then it becomes, of course, an object of great fascination.
2: So with this fascination that we have with death and life, why do you think people like obsessing with it?
11: Well, I think that it has to do with the fear of the unknown. And that is something which we all have to some extent or other. What meaning would my life have or anyone else's life have if we know that it is eventually going to come to an end. Now I have a particular sense of what that might mean for myself but I think for many people the idea is that if, if something doesn't last forever then it becomes devalued. I don't think that's the case personally. I think that my own life has meaning that goes beyond my earthly existence. But still, there is the uncertainty, there's the unknown, and I think that that's true for any of us.
2: What does the rapture mean to you?
11: Well, rapture has many meanings, of course. There is the idea, the biblical rapture, the idea that that Jesus will at some point come back to to separate the quick from the dead and, and take all true believers up to heaven. But, you know, even from a biblical standpoint... The Bible says, Jesus said in the Bible, no one knows when that is going to happen. He also says that no one knows when the kingdom of heaven is going to come. He says it's not going to come with star signs from the heavens because the kingdom of heaven is already spread out among you. The idea is that we are already living in and creating the kingdom of heaven. Now, rapture has many different meanings, of course. Another word for rapture is ecstasy. It is simply an internal feeling. It is a a sense of having a deep, deep involvement with the world. So we can experience rapture at any time. It's not something which requires a supernatural event for us.
2: Now, uh, what do you teach your congregation to do to prepare for the inevitable death?
11: Well, Death is simply the other side of the sheet of paper that is life. That if you live well, then you need not fear death.
2: All right, Tom. Thanks so much for talking to me today. You're more than welcome.
0: We are back at 7.58. This was I in the Triangle, WKNT 88.1. I am your host, Mark Herring. This show was produced with help of Chris Chaffee, Nick Savage, Jacob Downey, Matt Gardner, Katie Costa, Tyler Everett, Tommy and-, and Tommy Anderson. If you want to contact us, you can shoot me an email. My name is Mark Herring, and you can contact me at publicaffairs at wknc.org. You can also contact my assistant public affairs director, Chris Chaffee, at psa at wknc.org. If you want us to send us a postcard or give the postal service some business, you can send your mail to wknc88.1fm. Campus Box 8607-343, Witherspoon Student Center, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27695. Thank you for joining us this evening on I in the Triangle. We're doing shows every other week, so join us in two weeks on June 7th for our next show. I'm your host, Mark Herring, and have a good evening.